Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the afternoon show, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. I hope I hope you're having a wonderful day. It has uh, been great to have the guys here for Guy Talk. And this hour, I'm going to be joined in studio by uh, Rick Matson and Jonna Fonts. Rick is with InterVarsity, and Jonna is with Salem Covenant Church here in the uh, New Brighton area. And we're going to talk today about evangelism during COVID, which is going to be a very interesting topic because this is something that uh, evangelism is you know, been a challenge for many people, and now you add this on top of it, and then what? So hopefully this will give us lots of new creative ideas, and it will also get us a little out of our comfort zone, because there's never a wrong time to be encouraged to share our stories, because you have a story to tell, and that story is going to get someone's attention, and they're going to go, wow, that's your story? That's really interesting, and that's what we have to do. So anyway, uh, it's always nice to have Jonna and Rick here with me. Welcome, both of you. Thank you. Thanks, Phil. Yeah, so I was hearing the other day kind of this disheartening statistic that um, that 90% of people will not share their faith. Mm. That's a pretty staggering number. Mm. They always think it's someone else's job to do it. I'm glad someone shared it with me. Where would I be right now? Me too. Right. I'm glad the gospel got out of the Mediterranean world in the ancient <laughs> in ancient times and yeah. made it over, in my case anyway, to England and John Wesley, and I came to faith through that tradition. It's a good thing someone shared the faith and didn't just preach the gospel through their actions. They actually verbalized it. Right. Wow, that's a scary Three thought. By hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hearing by the word of God. Yeah, so that's we, right. we have to say the words. Yeah. Look people in the eye, share our stories, tell our tell tell them what Jesus has done for them. Yeah. Right. Well, and especially in times like this of uncertainty, times of great fear, just feels like doom and gloom is in the air and how wonderful the gospel shines in the mm-hmm. midst of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, a word of hope, a word of healing, a oh. word of strength. Yeah, don't keep that in a box. No, those are great words, Jonna. Thank you for saying those words, verbalizing those words. Strength, hope. What was the other one? Healing. Yeah, healing. Right. I've got a memory span of about two seconds. <laughs> Rick, what did I, you just say? I don't remember. <laughs> no, no, no. Now you say something inspiring, right? <laughs> I have a friend who had a tragedy in his family recently. I, friend, an acquaintance. I don't know him that well. Met him on the golf course. I just said to him, well, I said to myself first, I don't care if this person is a person of faith or not, atheist against for it, doesn't matter. This person's had tragedy in their life over and above the COVID. And I just said, oh, tell me about that. I want to hear about that. What happened? And he laid it out for me. And then I said, oh, I'm going to be praying for you. And then I said, I'm going to say a quick prayer right now. I just prayed right there. And and you don't have to push it beyond that. I saw him again a week later, checked in with him. How are things at home? I think just those little things can be steps in our uh, very productive witness that we have with people. Mm-hmm. And simple conversations, and I've learned this from just doing this show from some of the guests I've had on, where you can start a conversation with somebody, and if they 
you know, like this one guest was saying, he was talking to someone at an airport and he said, they were both in Chicago and he said, are you a native Chicagoan? And he said, no, I was born in Cleveland, but my parents got divorced when I was at a young age and we moved to Chicago. It's like, boy, people start telling you their stories. I know. You know, it doesn't take much. And he followed up with, was that a difficult time in your life? And all of a sudden he's pouring out his guts. Yeah. It's really can, can be pretty simple. Really good listening is a lost art in oh, our culture. Amen. And when Christians can model that, wow, I think the Lord can really use that. Right. I, I mean, it's just all a part that of loving people, how loving it is to have a listening ear and that people can experience the love of Jesus just by you being curious about their story, mm-hmm. longing to know who they are, looking for the uh, fingerprints of God in their life mm-hmm. or intersections, uh, things that, that build connection between you and them that you can share, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love and listening, you know, <laughs> they are so close. It just reminds me that really good witness evangelism slash in my view, isn't just presentation. It's interaction and interaction is give and take. It's, listening and speaking and listening and speaking. It's loving along the way. It's praying along the way. But when it when evangelism is reduced just to technique or just to presentation, then I think we're outside of the real human element in the way that the Lord uses us. Mm. I'd like you to say more about that because that's really interesting. Well, Maybe uh, you're out of material right now. <laughs> no. Oh, my goodness. I can talk about this <laughs> yeah. for hours. But I think the starting point is that God goes before us. God is the one who prepares conversations. My job isn't to be a salesman. (laughs) My job is to be a discerning detective trying to figure out, trying to understand. I'm a research guy trying to understand what is God doing in the life of that other person. Mm -hmm. And as I go in and ask questions, care about that person, and as I interact, then I can look for the fingerprints of God, just like you said, Jonna, and I can participate in what God is already doing in that person's life. Now, that would be way different than saying, I bring God to this conversation. And I'm imposing. I'm and pressure. Pressuring. I'm, yeah, right. It's all on me. It's all on my shoulders. I'm pressuring. I'm selling something like that. No, I'm participating in a supernatural activity that's already taking place. Yeah, I always think that... Um, Listening for the questions that people are asking, the um, the explorations they're doing, the things that they're wondering about, um, I find in those questions often there's a lot of richness. They've already probably sought out some answers. They have some things that didn't work, things that they don't know about, and those are often really deep places uh, to go with people. So I'm just thinking about as we're going to be encountering, whether even you're doing that over Zoom or however you're meeting with people uh, as you head into the holidays and all the innovation that we're needing to do around celebration right now, Um, finding out what questions people are wrestling with and asking or books that they're reading. And this, the the world that we're in right now is presenting us with some really Mm. big questions. What do you put your faith in? Where is your security? What keeps us together? You know, I mean, these are really large spiritual questions that God 
presents a lot of resources in answering mm-hmm. those questions. And so I think questions in particular are really interesting mm-hmm. right now. And anything around the topic of hope, and you mentioned the word security, mm-hmm. where do you get your security personally, professionally, and so forth? And anything to do with the topic of hope just naturally can open a door to spiritual conversation. I think it's also valuable of it's a good thing to admit our own struggles in this too. So, oh, you're a train wreck. Well, I've got the answer. You know, (laughs) I'm perfect. (laughs) So we don't really want that. I think we want to admit our own frailty, uh, admit our own flaws and our own struggles. And yet it's in those struggles. It's in that frailty that we have found faith in Jesus to be an incredible resource and that we can share with other people. Yeah, I was, um, so through uh, the COVID-19, particularly probably the last six months, you know, I think for the first three months, I was just like sort of stunned and didn't really understand what's going on. And then the last few months here, I have been just, the book of Philippians has been this source of incredible hope for me. So I'm, I'm reading it about every day. I just read through the book and receive this strengthening and this encouragement. It feels like it's adjusting me. Well, I was uh, visiting with my sister um, this fall who lives out in Washington and uh, we were chatting and she's not a believer. Um, And uh, we were just talking about the weird time that we're in and how hard it is and how she doing and things like that. And, and she just asked me, she said, what, what are you doing right now to kind of, and I said, you know, I'm reading the book of Philippians. You know, I said, I just read it every day and it's full of this message of strength and hope. And, and um, yeah, it's just been really meaningful. And, and she said, you know, I got to dig out my Bible. I've got it somewhere. <laughs> but you said, what was the name of the book again? You know, and so it was really sweet just as we were having this very human conversation, uh, the word of God sort of touched her and we've been texting and she's like, I'm reading that book and, you know, and I've got some questions and uh, we're going back and forth now about the book of Philippians that just opened up in this conversation where we were saying, God, this is a tough time. It's a really hard time. I like how you did that. It wasn't just, oh, well, I read the Bible and there's a lot of hope in there. You said, no, I'm reading the book of Philippians. Like, what? That, Specific- specificity. <laughs> Always sells. It does. Yeah. And there's a little mystique to that, too. Like, well, tell me more. What do you mean the book of Philippians? What's in there that's interesting? I'll sometimes say, well, I'm reading about Jesus the revolutionary. Oh, nice. And he was a revolutionary of his times. Oh, what do you mean? How so? And then you can go into how he a crossed story. story. Oh, yeah. You can cross barriers mm-hmm. with women. He crossed barriers with other ethnicities. He reached out to the marginalized. He did things that a rabbi in first century Palestinian Judaism is not supposed to do. <laughs> and he is the revolutionary, and his revolution of peace and love is meant to be spread all over the globe. Now, that's more interesting than me just coming and saying, well, I read the Bible. That's why I'm such right, a good guy. Right. I'm fascinated with the Jewish carpenter. <laughs> yeah, I'm fascinated more. with the Jewish carpenter, yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you have questions yes. about uh, evangelism during COVID, and maybe you've had a, um, a story you'd like to share with how you, um, let me say, took advantage of this situation. I mean, pandemics are an opportunity for great evangelism and great revival because everyone's sharing a common experience. So we're all on common ground when we come to this. So Mm -hmm. we can say, how are you doing with this? And let me know if you've got a story to tell or a question to ask. 
Uh, Rick Matson and John Afonso are my guests. You can uh, send it over via text to 877-933-2484. I'll give it again, 877-933-2484. Be right back. of Rick Matson and John Afonso. Rick's written a couple books. One is called Faith is Like Skydiving and Other Memorable Images for Dialogue with Seekers and Skeptics. Another little uh, book called Faith Unexpected, Real Stories of People Who Found what? What's the rest of that title, Rick? What they never expected. They never, they never expected. expected to find faith, but they did. These yeah. are really great stories. Awesome. Okay, let's talk about uh, getting our hearts and prepared, preparing for evangelism through prayer. <laughs> Yeah, I think one of the things we have to remember about evangelism is that God is doing his work, but we first participate in God's work and the other person through prayer. Mm-hmm. So we go before the Lord and we say with Paul in Colossians 4, open doors of opportunity for witness. That's what Paul asks for prayer for in Colossians 4. And that's a prayer prayer that we can make as well. Lord, would you open doors for opportunity, for witness. And then we go before the Lord and we say, and Lord, this particular person, and when I get out there and I'm on that airplane or I'm at Thanksgiving or we're meeting up for coffee or we're on a Zoom call, <laughs> Lord, would you give an opportunity and would you give me the spiritual eyes to see what's going on in their life? Sometimes we talk about not just listening to what's being said, we listen to their whole lives. So, Lord, would you give me the spiritual sensitivity to listen to their whole lives so that I can see the opportunities that you're presenting for me to participate here? And, Lord, I know you could just snap your fingers and make this person come to faith if you wanted to, but you use frail people like myself, imperfect evangelists. I don't know why exactly you do that, but I trust that you are. So we, you're the senior partner, I'm the junior partner, and this partnership first begins in prayer. Yeah, yeah. And I love what you, um, in your example before, you had said that you just prayed for the guy right there, but that I know you and I know uh, the golf course is one of Rick's major Mm -hmm. (laughs) areas. Praise the Lord. Where he does uh, some really amazing evangelism with his golf buddies and people that he meets there. And, And I know you pray a lot before you launch before you get out there. And I think that that preparation of your heart and that you're thinking about that person, you're, you're asking God to touch them, you're caring for them. I, um, as I was going out to visit my sister and the story I shared before, um, I took my mom out to visit her and we, um, we prayed, we had prayed for hours from all my siblings and we had prayed for hours for her. And it was amazing to us how simple and easy the conversations felt. We didn't feel like we had to push anything, didn't uh, just natural sharing who we were. And God had already done the work, had softened things and opened things. And so, yeah, I think that prayer changes us. And it changes the world around us both ways. So it becomes a really critical first step. We don't have to force it. We show up. We're trusting the Lord. I often say to myself, the Lord is not in a hurry. Why am I in a hurry right now? Uh, that That doesn't mean I become lax in witness, but it does mean I want to walk at the pace that the Spirit is walking in this person's life and in this conversation right now. 
So let's not fall behind and let's not get ahead. I would say for the most part, and maybe it's culturally Midwestern to do this, is to hold back. So probably most of the college students and graduate students that I work with, at least in the Midwest and in my church here in the Twin Cities, probably most of us don't take enough risk. Right. We tend to fall behind. We're so cautious. We don't want to offend. But I do think at some point you have to put yourself out there and find out. It's sort of a depth sounding. You have to find out what's going on here. And to do that, you have to take a little risk. You have to ask a question. You have to mention the fact that you go to church or that you read the scripture or that you're a person of faith or that you listen to faith radio or something like that. And I've used all those. But just putting that out there and kind of seeing where it goes and how does the Spirit take that little uh, piece of information and use it, and then it more will open up. And then you ask the next question and then maybe share something about yourself. But, yeah, have you seen yourself kind of uh, taking some of these risks, even with your uh, your family members? Yeah, and, and probably not enough either, you know, uh, although I get this pass because I'm a pastor. Yeah, like, that's right. And my whole family knows that. And as soon as people ask you what you do, uh, you know, you say you're a pastor. I can remember actually going to some of these like singles events and when I, before I was married and uh, you're meeting people and people that one of the natural questions was always, so what do you what do? do, you do? For a <laughs> I'd be like, well, well. I'm a pastor. <laughs> and often that would end the conversation yes. too, with the guy, whatever, you yeah. know, he's like, oh, oh. You know, you know. yeah, little Miss Holiness but, here. <laughs> Not always. And sometimes, uh, yeah, you just had an opportunity to talk about, did you ever go to church? Are we ever, I mean, you could, there's a lot there. Oh, there's so much you can say. To talk about, or if they even had a negative reaction, I'd be like, wow, I feel like I need to apologize. Did you have a really negative experience? Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, even that could open if they're, if they're willing, you know. Or to use humor. Okay, we're on the first tee at the golf course. It's raining. They look at me. Would you do something about this, please? (laughs) (laughs) Nice, nice. And I'll try, but the Lord only listens to half my prayer requests. Today was a no. Sorry, guys. But that leads to further conversation. Right, humor is Humor is so good. Uh, I I do remember being in a couple situations where someone looked at me and they were like, you're a pastor. Can't you do something Something religious? Something about this, right. You know, and I'd be like, sure, I could take an offering if that's helpful. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, I mean, you're right that yeah. that we, if we're frightened, we're going to communicate that. Yes. If we're worked up and uptight, and we feel we're going to offend, and that's our biggest fear, um, instead of being afraid that Jesus was at work and we missed it, mm-hmm. we missed being a part of His glorious work. You know, and I think even if you do offend. It's really easy to say, gosh, I'm real sorry. I can tell I just stepped on a toe there. Let's talk about something else. Mm -hmm. It's okay if they're not ready. Like you said, keep pace with it. But don't be so afraid of that. You've got to take that risk. We'd have to get out of the boat and walk on the water a little bit. Jesus is calling us. Bill, did you want to join this conversation? Well, it is your show. I know. (laughs) I want to go back to something I heard five minutes ago. And I, I think, Rick, you had mentioned something about you know, God is in not in a hurry. And I thought I want to explore that a little bit because I do think it's important to hold that tension in our hearts that say we need to treat everything with a sense of urgency yes. where you say, well, I don't, I'm not going to really talk to my, you know, relative at Thanksgiving. I'll wait till the 4th of July picnic. <laughs> and then guess what happens? Yeah. That relative doesn't show up at the 4th of July mm-hmm. picnic. 
And I think mm-hmm. your sense of urgency, Bell, I just want to affirm that. I mean, oh, the, the call of the gospel over and over is readiness, right? Be ready, mm. stay awake, be alert. I mean, Jesus is calling for that. But that doesn't mean be pushy, be thumping people, be awkward. Right. You know, it. Th- those are two different things. Often, I think when those things kick in, what's happened is um, suddenly my agenda of being a good Christian you know, like I just need to do my duty here and get my checkbox or whatever. That could have kicked in. This could be more about my ego and my sense of security. Um, either way, being silent or being pushy could all be about me. And if I can get out of this isn't all about me, God is at work here and God is at work in this person here. Um, I want I want to be about that. And we could be a little self-forgetful. But we can maintain that sense of, I know God loves this person and wants to be in relationship with them. We can keep that love motive centered and kind of decenter ourselves. This just isn't about what people think about me. This is about what God is doing. And it's not about my performance as an evangelist, using the right techniques, saying the right things. I mean, I pretty much do this for a living. I screw up all the time. I mean... (laughs) But I think if you say in advance, okay, I'm pretty much an 80 percenter in all this, like uh, with practice, I get it right maybe 70, 80 percent of the time and say something that's, you know, roughly intelligent about the gospel. And then there's just times in these conversations where I don't say the right thing or I don't respond correctly. But if you know that in advance about yourself, and it's not about yourself, then that's okay. And you move on to the next opportunity and leave that behind. The Lord's taking care of that. If he wanted perfect evangelists, he'd have never called me in the first place. <laughs> so what happens when, you know, you, you start a discussion with somebody and they, they trigger you and you go, ooh, this is not going to go well, because that's what you're thinking in your head. Mm. We so, only have like a minute, so okay. um, Quick there's answer. not a lot of pressure, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I think, uh, I think first of all, uh, just like you said, being aware that something just pinged and mm-hmm. now you're afraid. Um, I think those little quick breath prayers to God, like, okay, Jesus, about you. Um, okay, God, you're going to need to step in here. And even, like I said, if it's a highly offended response, just apologize. I didn't mean to offend you in any way. You know, sorry. Um, you had a really... You know, that felt really negative. I'm sorry. You know, um, it's okay. It's okay to kind of take the step back. You stepped into an area that maybe they have some pain or it's a deeper area that they're not willing to share with mm-hmm. you right now. And I'm not apologizing for the gospel. Not at all. I'm apologizing for the interaction and how right. it went and maybe some hurt that they suffered in the past. That this is cueing. Yes, big difference Got between those really two. a really interesting comment that just came in. I'm going to save it till after the break. Uh, and if you have any other comments... Or questions, let me know what they are, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. My guests are Rick Matson from University Fellowship and John Afonso from Salem Covenant Church. We'll be right back. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Hey. It's the 
<laughs> We're back with Rick Manson and John Afonso. We're talking about evangelism, uh, especially during this time of COVID, where we're all kind of in this same boat together. I had a lovely uh, comment from a listener. She said, I was talking with someone regarding COVID. They said they were fearful. I asked, why are you fearful? My mind went blank, and I felt I missed an opportunity and disappointed the Lord, especially since I have prayed. Just want you to know, Janet, I love your vulnerability. Mm, Thank you for sharing that Mm. comment. Yeah. Yeah, and we just want to encourage you, Janet. Uh, The Lord wasn't surprised or disappointed. The fact that you asked the question, the fact that you'd been praying, all of that stuff is rich. And I don't know what your relationship is with this person, but don't feel like it's over because Go, you can go back again. You mm-hmm. can talk about that again. In fact, one of the things, Rick, you talk about is persistence mm-hmm. in evangelism. Yeah, staying with it with people and uh, continually going back to the theology of God is at work here and continually asking, Lord, what are you doing? Is it time for me to take the next step here? Is it time for me to give this a little rest for a couple of weeks? Maybe so. And then when you get back into that interaction and you've prayed and you're sensitive to what the Lord is doing, you can see the openings that he is providing. And if you can't see them, either they're not there or you need to pray a little more for better eyes and ears to see what he's doing. But I think continually going back and asking that question, what is God doing? I would also say something too about um, I don't know quite how to put this, maybe practice, that the first time of witnessing can be awkward and the second time is a little easier and the third time and the 10th time and the 20th time. And for a lot of us who just do this, the hundredth, the 150th time, you don't worry about stuff as much, kind of in a groove, you have some momentum. And I, I think dropping little seeds and just getting used to that and, and building yourself uh, up, building up your your skills and and your persistence uh, really helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you just try to witness once every six months and it goes badly, whoa, that can be a showstopper right there. That can be really difficult. Here's a, another little amazing seed that was dropped by a, a wise listener named Beth. She said, I, I just planted a seed during a very brief conversation with the cashier last week. Me. Hi, how are you? Cashier, I'm nervous about everything. Me, I try to remember that God is sovereign and in control, and I smiled. She was kind of taken aback, but looked at me and kind of smiled. Hopefully got her thinking, and that someone else will water that seed. Oh, nice. That's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, just a little drop. Faith in action. Yes. Wonderful. I remember one day I was at the Detroit airport, and I was going to Ann Arbor to go to the University of Michigan work with uh, college students there. And I got this prompting from the Lord as I was walking over to the Uber uh, uh, cab area that I was supposed to bring up the name of Jesus in the first 10 seconds <laughs> of getting into the cab. Okay. Uh, now, I probably share my faith as much or more than most people, and I'm maybe a little bit more radical than most, but 10 seconds is not a lot of time. Yeah. And so uh, I got in the cab and this uh, driver named Tom um, said, where to? And I said, Ann Arbor. And I said, I'm going to the University of Michigan to tell graduate students about Jesus. And Tom, that's all I got in my life right now. What about you? Whoa. And we had, <laughs> we had spiritual conversation. I might be summarizing a little bit okay, there. Yeah. Not that much. <laughs> okay, that's yeah. a pretty, pretty close to what happened. And I was trying to obey that prompt of sharing about Jesus in the first 10 seconds. And we talked about spiritual things 
for the 25-minute ride out to the University of Michigan from uh, Detroit Airport. I love nice. that. I love that story. Praise the Lord. You know, yeah, and that God had opened that and touched yeah, your heart, and yeah. you stayed focused. Stayed focused. <laughs> I remember one time I was on an airplane, and it was 4 in the morning, and I hate mornings. And I was flying out of Missoula, or maybe it was 5 in the morning. See, I can't even remember. <laughs> Missoula, Montana. And I did not want to talk, but I did pray as I entered the airplane, Lord, I got nothing right now. <laughs> I'm shot. It was a long week of ministry. If you open up a door for conversation here, help me to walk through it. And sure enough, in the first two minutes, this woman who ran a shop and was taking vacation, we got into spiritual things just by me asking one single little question. We are off and running. I am not that good. Mm-hmm. I am not. I'm a practiced evangelist. I'm not that good. That was the Lord preparing a conversation. And all I did was pray a prayer and walk into it pretty reluctantly, actually, Mm -hmm. that time. And there it was. And you take a little risk. And next thing you know, you're in this long conversation. And who knows what the Lord might do then? Yeah, I think, uh, Rick, one of the things that you said is just probably for most of us, the um, the hesitation. We're, we're, We're really nice Midwesterners, and we really want like people and we want people to like us and to 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 actually say okay before by the, by the time i hit christmas i want to have taken three risks mm-hmm. yes in sharing the gospel mm-hmm. three I risks just, just three I, and i'm saying to you lord jesus i'm available and i'm ready and here's some people i can think of that i know i'm going to encounter and i just want to pray for them but God, I just want you to know I'm up for three, you know, and who knows, you may double it or you may get addicted to this and be doing one mm. a day mm. or, you know, mm-hmm. but I think offering yourself like that, saying, I'm willing to go out on this edge. I think for us in the Midwest that are just really nice, I think it could be really helpful to really take it as a challenge. I wanted to ask you too, what do you see as some of the big needs that people have uh, these days, our culture seems obsessed with certain idols. And I think those idols can provide really good conversation. And you and I talked about this a bit off air and just wondering if you could, I really appreciated what you shared with me about that, about the idols of our culture. Our, our yeah. culture, yeah. yeah. So as I was just um, thinking about this and actually listening to some other conversations um, from other Christian leaders and thought leaders um, what what has become really apparent is that people um, in our world today are not that interested in being good people. Mm. Like that was an old desire in our culture, kind of left over from some of our Christian uh, roots or trappings. But now the desire is, is to truly be true to themselves. Mm. Because they probably couldn't even name what necessarily a good person looks like. That's really arguable and seems really... But they want to be true to themselves. Identity seems to be something that is driving people today. They are busy constructing identities online or um, through, uh, through their friendships or through things that they join or causes they become a part of. And then it's all about propping up and supporting those identities. In fact, some of what I wonder is that 
some of the vitriol in our conversation now, the way that we can't listen to each other is because of these constructed identities. And when you run into someone who disagrees with you, it's not just that they disagree with you. It's that they're striking a blow at your identity. So in other words, um, you could you could sort of form an identity right now around being anti-racist. And part of that means that you need to hate all those bigots and you need to shout them down because they threaten your anti-racist identity. And I think that kind of hunger for who I am, how do I be my true self, how do I be true to myself, is something that's driving much of our culture, much of our cultural conversation. And I think it feels like it's kind of some of the crux of evangelism that Jesus is offering us an identity that we don't need to build. We don't need to prop it up. We don't need to construct it. It's not an identity that we earn. It's an identity that is given to us. And it's not an identity that's fragile in that it can't be destroyed by people who disagree with us or see things differently. And in fact, people who see things differently Part of that identity is about loving and caring and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. So it seems like the gospel critiques this idol yes. of identity, but it doesn't just leave it there. It doesn't just deconstruct it. Right. It offers a solution. It offers a deeper identity. And as we grow into Christ, we grow into our true identity, not just in a positional or philosophical sense. It's our humanity, my humanity yes. comes alive as I meet Jesus and grow in him as a disciple. So the true Rick Matson, as envisioned by God, is developed as I become a disciple of Jesus and as I grow in my identity in and through him. That's right. That is a lot different than me kind of standing behind and put, trying to push my identity forward as right. I construct it along the way. Which is exhausting, oh, right? It's exhausting. Yes. It's fragile. And it kind of can lead you just from one identity to the next to the next to the next, you know. Um, I think, yeah, it's a, there's a freedom there. There's a gift there to know that I don't have to prop this up. I don't have to create, like, I actually can receive this from someone, Jesus, and it's a far better identity mm. than one I could construct myself or that my culture is currently offering. Jesus has resources around this that I and my culture just don't have. And I think people might object that God's identity for me is very constraining. Like, oh, you don't have a say in this? Like, God gave it to you and you've got to just live into it. But I think we can model something that's much richer than that. If we model the multifaceted, deep, rich, aesthetic, intellectual. <laughs> I mean, it's so uh, complete. It, it's so whole. And if we model that, I think we can de- defeat uh, people's stereotypes of that confining Christian identity that maybe they've seen in the media or right. whatever. Or that's just negating. It's just your oh, identity yes, right. is all about what you don't do yeah. or, you know. What you're against. Yeah, right. But instead, this more holistic, this child of God created by God, saved by God. Uh, God was so passionate. He sent Jesus to pay the price for all of the way, the inhuman ways I've behaved, all the ways that I've betrayed what a really good human being is or what a really great jhana is. 
Jesus died for that and offers this redemption so that I can live fully into who God created me to be. And there's just so much freedom and hope and fullness in that. So, yeah, I think, Rick, what you said about the way um, there's kind of a, um, a confrontation of each right. culture, yes. when the gospel come to it, comes to it, if there's an idol in that culture, the gospel confronts that idol. And then there is a fulfillment of what that idol was built to fulfill. Yes, right. But it doesn't fulfill it. Right. Or the gospel really does. Does fulfill it. Yeah. And I think of just in scripture, um, one of the places in 1 Corinthians one twenty two, Paul is talking about how um, the gospel is foolishness to the Greeks and weakness to the Jews. And um, he's really pointing out idols in those cultures that the Greeks really wanted to be um, wise and they loved beauty and perfectionist, Mm -hmm. you know, and the Jews were more pragmatic. They were just like about power. How do you get things done around here? Right. And so he talks about how the gospel confronts those idols but that Jesus truly is wisdom and truly is power. Mm-hmm. Um, the real fulfillment of the hunger that lies at the heart of that idolatry, that that idolatry was an expression of a hunger, but instead of seeking the real God, you sought something you constructed. Mm-hmm. All right, but take a little break. We're talking to Rick Matson and John Fonts, and we're just exploring all the ways in which we can uh, make sure we're doing our very best to evangelize during this season of COVID. There's a lot of times you can connect with people at their point of brokenness and they're, everyone's kind of in this thing together, suffering uh, in some way or another. We can find out how we can care for them, let them know they matter, and then they will start telling you their story, which gives you an opportunity to give them your hope that you have in Jesus. Take a short break. Be right back. show. Rick Manson and John Afonso are my guests. We're talking about evangelism during this uh, season, which we hope ends soon. If you're like me, and I know I am, I think we're all getting a little tired of the restrictions and the and the uh, Zoom meetings and everything else that we have to do to not be together and to uh, not be face-to-face. And you don't see people smile and express, and, and we're all kind of nervously avoiding each other, like you dart out of the way if, you know, someone gets too close to the door when you're passing. I get it. Okay, there's plenty of fear out there. But in the meantime, we have the hope in Christ that we can share with people because we're in this pandemic suffering along together. And we can always ask, how are you doing? And Mm -hmm. ask sincerely. And they're going to tell you. Mm -hmm. Open door, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You guys take it from here. Yeah, I think there's (laughs) a kind of heaviness around our culture right now. Uh, We feel it emotionally. And so... Uh, as much as I work in the area of uh, apologetics, kind of philosophically and historical apologetics, John, I think there's also an emotional apologetic (laughs) here. We offer an apologetic, in other words, a defense of the faith, reasons to believe in the faith for emotional reasons too, don't you think? Right, yeah. I think that uh, 
Christianity offers what any single person is looking for, because I believe often latent in the desires of the human heart is this desire for God, that that lies at the core of being human, is that we long for God. And it gets expressed in all of these other desires, but that if we are listening and paying attention, asking people how they're doing, getting to know them, we can hear into that longing, and that longing is part of the emotional apologetic. If I can show what you're longing for, Christianity actually has amazing resources for that, better resources than the ones you're currently using, then even if you don't believe right now, but you start to think, God, I wish that was true. Suddenly, they're going to be far more open to rational arguments. Like, is that really true? Could that be true? But you've done this emotional apologetic. You've hooked their hearts where they're saying, oh, Gosh, I, I want that to be true, what you're saying. Yes. What you're longing for and what you're trying to construct your life for will end up being disappointing. And the fulfillment of what you long for is actually found in Jesus. Right. It's one thing to say that. I think the church then needs to demonstrate that. We need to show that that's true uh, by the quality of our lives. Yeah. And that's a, a call to fellowship, training, uh, prayer. Uh, the church uh, modeling that in a way that's convincing to a pretty skeptical culture these days. So just as a pastor, I want to say this, that we know out there right now, we pastors, that people are disengaging from their churches. They are tired of the Zoom church and, you know, we're not as good as Disney at production. And so (laughs) our show just can't beat, you know, uh, whatever the latest thing is. And I, what I want you to know is that your engagement with the community matters. It does. That it in and of itself is providing the community with a vitality and a strength that could create that emotional apologetic. That as you engage with your church, even as sick as you are of Zoom, that you're, you've got your small group, you're, you're attending services, you're talking, you're listening that kind of engagement, as weary as you have become, I just want to say, hang in there, endure, be strong, because the community needs your engagement as much as you need to be engaged so that people can see these vibrant, beautiful, hopeful communities that they're like, gosh, in the middle of this divided, angry, everybody's yelling world, the church looks pretty beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me more about what you're doing. You know, that emotional apologetic becomes so powerful. And I think if our churches are going to be vital, then we have to think of ourselves not just as consumers, but as contributors as mm-hmm. well. And you you nailed it on the head there. I go to church not just for what I can get out of it, but my church needs me. Mm-hmm. And my church needs each of us. So for those of us who are tempted to start taking weekends off and disengage from the church because it's not what it once was, i uh, just like to encourage everyone to get back in there and be part of the body of Christ. It's an organic connection that we have with God's people, and we need them and they need us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How has your prayer life been during this last several months? 
That's kind of a personal question. Yeah, no, no okay. it's yeah. a wonderful it's only question. Hundred thousand people listening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so for me, um, I'm actually just coming back from sabbatical. So I was on um, a several month sabbatical where I got to rest and refresh and um, powerful, powerful times of prayer. And like I said, God was using to connect me into my family and to get to experience his work, um, not just in my work, but in the rest of my life, in my friends and in my uh, family and things like that. So for me, the time in prayer, like I said, I'm reading Philippians every day and that time in prayer have been vital. I don't, I just don't, I I feel like I, I rise each day go into my first Zoom meeting, and the word that just is first and foremost in my brain is cheerful. Mm. Like, I'm going to be cheerful in the midst of all this gloom and weariness. I'm just, I'm going to be this cheerful presence. And I, I feel like that prayer time and that book are fortifying that kind of a spirit and experience for me. That's a very simple yet powerful message, Jonna. I've been studying. Top that one, Rick. <laughs> I've been studying at Jeremiah, the big downer in the New Testament. So. Okay, I knew I could count on you yeah. to counter that one. Yeah. So uh, I made it through chapter twenty so far. I'm maybe about halfway through. He's a weeping prophet. There's, it's a redemptive weeping, though. Sometimes he just weeps on behalf of his own wounded heart because he's being persecuted. So it's given me the opportunity to look back on a few decades of ministry here and see a few places where I got knocked down and bring those before the Lord. That's been really good. But also to see Jeremiah's weeping on behalf of the people. Uh, That's another model that I feel like I really needed to see in this time. So once again, Rick, it's not all about you. It's not about me. It's about the ministry that uh, the people around me that God has called me to. And it's about the Lord's glory. Jeremiah recognizes that in this very visceral, gritty way. I appreciate that. So, uh, so far through uh, Jeremiah 20, it's not an easy book. But uh, I'd like to say I've enjoyed it. I think it's been more enriching than... Enjoyment wasn't actually the first word that came to mind when I thought about my time in Jeremiah. How do we encourage listeners that that are suffering right now? I mean, because as we go to prayer, God does some amazing work through our suffering. He uses that suffering for some incredible um, work in our lives. But if you're suffering tonight and you're, you're in a place of difficulty, how do we encourage or maybe pray for our listeners that are in that place tonight? Yeah, I'm going to just take you to Philippians where, <laughs> because I'm reading every that day. all the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's almost cheating. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, where actually Paul says that I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. resurrection. Mm. And the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. Mm -hmm. So as you, wherever you are tonight and whatever is heavy on your heart, whatever is weighing you down or even feels like it might be breaking you, I want you to know that you are in the midst of a powerful fellowship with our Savior who suffered profoundly. You will know Jesus in suffering in a way that nothing else can teach you about him. So I just want to, I want to encourage you to reach out to him that he cares and he's passionate for you. And there is a connection there because he suffered so profoundly too. 
And I think as the Lord encourages us, this is a Second Corinthians 1. I seem to remember, and could be off in that reference, but as the Lord encourages us, uh, there's a redemption in that for those around us, too, because the Lord lifts us up to lift others up. He blesses us to bless others. He, we go through suffering. He takes us by the arm. We see what that's like. We share that with others, and we find out that they, too, are in pain. A person who's never in pain, never admits that, will find it maybe not as often that others share that pain with them, but a person who's open about their pain is going through things and verbalizes that. That's one of the ways that we get into redemptive conversations with other people. Nicely said. Thank you very much for being with me today. It's been wonderful. Rick Matson, John Afonso have been my guests, and we have so enjoyed your time with, uh, with us, so yeah. thank you very much. And thanks to the guys for showing up for Guide Talk. It's been a, a wonderful uh, day. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, showing up and supporting Faith Radio and being the most amazing, wonderful listeners in the whole wide world. So that's you. Have a great night, everyone, and I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.